Cindy Lauper there from her brilliant debut album, She's So Unusual, a track written by Prince, When You Are Mine. Two great guests on today's show, queer performer Luke Forrester joins us and activist Lynn Johnson-Vestians. Well, Luke Forrester is well known to me, listeners, and I had the pleasure of chatting with him yesterday. And uh, Luke began our interview by talking about what he's been up to lately in the queer pop culture world. Well, that's a that's a very loaded question, James. <laughs> I think I actually got an email from you a few days ago, just saying let's catch up and have a chat. And I think I felt the walls of my existence crumbling around me because I was starting to think, what have I been doing, and and what is coming up? And I I honestly think a lot of us in the community, especially anyone involved in the performing arts, has been feeling that way. Uh, I hate to use the phrase post COVID. Um, but as we reintegrate into the world, we are all in a very interesting space where we're, it reminds me of those, you ever see those videos of like calves, uh, like baby giraffes getting born and they're learning how to like walk again and stuff. It, it, it feels a little bit like that refinding your creative feet, um, figuring out how comfortable you are in re-entering the the public world as well, and um, yeah, I think it's it, it's an important time, especially for queer creatives who, you know, experience a lot of day to day pressure and stress just merely by existing. To say it's okay to take a little bit of time if you need it, um, but in terms of what I've been working on, it's it's really good timing as I've just started uh, workshopping and getting back in front of the microphone and hoping to launch a new podcast uh, in the coming months, uh, which is going to be similar to uh, the project I was involved in, The Gays Are Revolting, but um, with a bit more absurdity, um, same level of queer content. <laughs> and um, some some wonderful creative guests as well and a bit of live music, uh, musical guests as well. So that is all in the, the pipeline for, for me at the moment. So how comfortable are you feeling about re-emerging into the creative world? Oh, gosh, not, not very at all. <laughs> it's so interesting because uh, I have seen some friends that have just been itching for for this moment to get back out onto stages and to start performing and they've been uh you know counting down the the days and the hours until they can get back out there uh for for me it was kind of the opposite in in that it took a lot of time and quite a lot of uh uh critical thinking about myself to go, um, am I ready to go back out there? Um, uh, and, uh, you, it's, I don't think it's at all like riding a bike. It's like, I think it's like a muscle actually. It's something you need to keep doing and, and train for and, um, really work towards. So it's, it's a scary time. Um, and I'm excited to, you know, uh, make people laugh again, hopefully, fingers crossed. <laughs> and, um, but I definitely don't think it's easy for, for everyone. It, it's actually never been easy for me in the first place. So I think that's a part of my, my own struggle. It sounds like you've been a little bit self-critical. You talked about those, you know, critical issues coming up. 
Yes, yes. And I I think that's an important trait that I have that doesn't get talked about a lot um, in the kind of comedy performing arts world. Um, it tends to, I think the arts tends to attract very outgoing, um, extroverted personalities. And obviously that for obvious reasons, that makes a lot of sense. Uh, but I also think there is a large group of really creative people who love making stuff and love doing things like comedy and, and, and public speaking who are actually really self-critical and really introverted and, uh, quite shy. And I, it's a, it's a double-edged sword. It's something I've tried not too hard to push away or get rid of because I think that voice is also important for people to hear. When I was doing the other podcast, I would remind myself all the time of like how many sort of uh, queer, half Filipino, introverted nerds are there in pop culture. And, and there's very, very few. And, and I, I didn't want to lose track of that ever. So even though they're, they're not the funnest times to, to go through and be in the middle of, I think it's important to keep true to it as well because that representation can mean a lot to some other little queer kid listening to a podcast and going, hey, wait a second, that's me. That that guy's like me and he's he's doing it. You know, I can do it too. Um, so it, it, it's, it's kind of a double-edged sword, I think. Speaking of double-edged swords, how much Ooh. pressure does the validation that you get from the community kind of, you know, create? especially when you're thinking about embarking on a new project. I love validation. Validation is like one of my favorite things. <laughs> it's my main motivating factor. Um, there's, there's a lot of pressure within the gay community, and I think there's a lot of pressure on people of color uh, to be something I've found really difficult to navigate is the pressure placed to uh, kind of be, as a person of color, uh, entertaining as well as informative and all of these really lovely things, you, you know, uh, insightful but yet funny and passionate and informed. And every time you step in front of a microphone, you feel the weight of an entire underrepresented community on your shoulders. Uh, and that can really really wear you down um over time and i think that the trick to it is kind of ties into what i said before is you can only really be yourself and by representing yourself truly and being who you are uh you're contributing you you are adding to that visibility you are being a voice and that that's like the bare minimum that's all you need to do babe and if you can be all those other things that people expect you to be funny and entertaining and insightful and informative and, and, and impassioned, they're, they're the cherries on top. That's the bonus, but just representing, uh, an underrepresented, um, part of our community is important enough. Um, so that's what I try to remind myself when I feel, feel that pressure. I know sometimes 
we'd get, we'd usually get an email from our producer with like, here's the topics we're going to delve into this week on the show. And sometimes things would stick out to me as one of two people of color on that show to be like, this is clearly a topic for me and Mikey to dive pretty deep into, or I felt some expectation to really find the gold in that topic because it was racially charged or, or, or there was some connection to, to, to race issues in there. Um, uh, and it would stress me out because sometimes you just can't be all of those things at once. You're just, you're just you. Um, but I, I, I'm really, yeah, I, I feel like I'm telling myself over and over again in this <laughs> interview is just being represented and, and being visible and using your voice is enough. And I, I think that goes not just for people of color, but queer people, trans people, uh, uh, any underrepresented um, minority, using your voice is, is, is enough. 3CR. The last few months, it's have actually really highlighted how important race representation here in Australia and, and our relationship with our multiculturalism, how important that is to me. Um, uh, it may have been about a month ago we actually rejoined and did a little reunion episode of The Gays Are Revolting, and uh, one of the topics we, we got to delve into was the upcoming cast reveal of uh, RuPaul's Drag Race Down Under. It, was, it actually ended up being announced maybe half an hour after we'd recorded which is a bit of a pain because we were going off speculation and then suddenly we'd finished and we had all this tea that we <laughs> could have spilt. Um, and I, I remember because there were some pretty questionable uh, actions by one of the contestants in regards to, to uh, some racially insensitive things that they had done in their history. And I was sitting in the room and I was recording with the boys and I thought, don't do it. Something in my head was like, don't go there. Like, this is a nice reunion episode. Everyone's having a kiki. It's a nice time. People want to tune in, uh, have a laugh, catch up with us because it had been a, been a hot minute since we'd recorded. Don't go down the road of this is really bad. Australia has some issues with our race representation and how... Uh, and how we respond to culturally and uh, cultural appropriation. And I just kind of bit my tongue. And uh, in terms of the, the social world, uh, I walked away from that thinking, no, that was the right decision. Y you know, you can't go in to fight and to bat every single time. Uh, but the instances of of racially charged hate crimes and the 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 slow but constant um increase in uh sort of racially charged asian in in particular asian sort of stereotypes and and um 
microaggressions just started to creep up ever so slightly. And you realize like, this is really important to me. There was the shooting that happened in Austin and, and I suddenly realized I'm so passionate about this and I had a platform right in front of me with so many listeners and and an opportunity to talk about something that means a lot to me and I didn't take it. So uh, that has been gnawing at me uh, for a little bit and I, I think now is a really good time for, for us as a community to reflect not upon just the actions of individual people um, and and what they may say and do and the microaggressions there, but also the the structure around them that sort of lets people think that it's okay to do things like blackface, for example, or a really offensive Chinese stereotype or make a joke about COVID um, being in the Chinese flu or something like that and really look down and to say, what what is it about our society that supports actions like these. And um, that has been on my mind, I think, quite a lot for the last uh, maybe two months. And it's one of those things it's hard to put into words when you're so passionate about it. It, it, It's tangled up in all your feelings. So I could go on for hours (laughs) about it. But, it's interesting, um, isn't it? Because I think Australian audiences have been, you know, more more hesitant to criticise it than American audiences, and there's been a lot of criticism towards this season from American audiences about blackface and even about Lindy Chamberlain's impersonation. Mm, mm, it's. I'm so glad we get an opportunity to to talk about it because I, I I I find the Lindy Chamberlain aspect really interesting as well, and have seen potentially more discourse around that than than the unfortunate blackface and yellowface i hate that term but i'm just for shorthand i'm going to use it here incidents and uh and speaking to friends i think it's because in the u.s the the conversation's already started and it that it's been going for a really long time and and it's it feels so much more of a under the rug taboo topic here in Australia. Uh, I think we, this is all my opinion, so please don't slide into my DMs or anything like that. Uh, But it feels like sometimes we can have an attitude of, okay, we know that's really bad. And yes, we know about our history and we know that's all bad. So let's, just not talk about it okay we get it and and we understand but let's not have the conversation because the conversation i i feel like when we do have that conversation it's going to lead to some pretty uncomfortable outcomes it's it's going to really poke holes in some some fundamental ideas that we have about uh, our australian identity um, and yeah, I, I always wanted to question, we can go on these, uh, tirades about let's make this individual apologize. Let's make Scarlett apologize for the actions that she did. And, and uh, that is absolutely reasonable and uh, justifiable to ask for. Uh, the bigger question I have is what about the venues that she 
was performing at that said, this is okay. Let's book this performer and let them get up and perform in, in full blackface. And the audience that watched that and put it up on social media and took the photos and enjoyed and, 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 uh, sort of enabled that performance to happen. There's a there's a bigger circle around the individual that that uh, I feel like we're kind of scared to go down that path. Let's just keep it really contained to the one person doing something really awful, um, so we don't have to look at the rest of it. Is kind of how it feels to me. Um, whereas I think the US is more in a state of saying, let's tear this whole thing down. You, you know, it's, it's, it's gotta, it's the buck's got to stop here and, and some big changes need to happen. You're listening to an interview with Luke Forrester on three CRs in your face. It sounds like your, your new show is going to be, you know, very much uh, culturally critical and not afraid to go there. Yeah, yeah. I uh, I would love it to be a good mix of I can't help myself. I honestly can't. I I I could go somewhere and say I am just going to be ridiculous and funny and and talk about I know what you did last summer and have a good time and somehow I will get fired up about <laughs> something and say wait a second, we got to we got to tear this apart. So I just can't help myself in that regard. And, uh, I think it's important to, to not be afraid to question those things. And, uh, in the end, even a difficult conversation leads to some better understanding and, and, uh, what, what more can you sort of ask for than that is you may not agree with everybody all the time, but, uh, as long as you're having the conversation and having some laughs along the way and maybe hearing some cool music as well. I, I think that's kind of the formula I'm going for, I think. And this is going to be a solo show. How do you think uh, that's going to be for you after being so used to being, you know, part of, you know, a symbiosis, if you like, as the gays are evolving kind of work? Mm, uh, probably terribly. <laughs> I remember, so this is a real funny story, but I did a sort of guest appearance on a friend's podcast and uh, this was in the height of the Gazer Revolting times and was really excited about it because I, I could go free reign. I was like, I, I, I don't have to sort of wheel it in to fit into the structure of this other show. Uh, and posted about it and a lot of people sort of uh, filtered over from the gazer revolting to hear this other show and then was having drinks with that friend a couple of weeks ago and he said do you know that that episode is probably the most like uh offensive to listeners <laughs> or like the one we get the most sort of comments about because i think uh i existed yeah within this rule uh, the structure that worked, the four of us worked as a group. It's, it's kind of like the Spice Girls, you know, they all had their kind of role that they fit into. Um, so I, but I, I think that's, that's exciting. I, Dan, our producer, um, 
who is amazing and did so much work for us and uh, really drove the ship for two years, which is an incredible amount of time. He's told me the amount of stuff he had to cut out of me rambling that didn't like <laughs> fit the tone of the show was enough to make an o- its own show. And that's the idea behind this is like, well, now I've got holding the scissors, so I get to cut. <laughs> it sounds like you're really kind of, you know, elated about being unshackled. And actually, you know, not having to worry about, you know, fitting into somebody else's parameters. Yeah, I think I was, uh, I understood the structure of the gazer revolting and and it worked in a certain way. And in my heart, uh, I'm just a little bit of a anarchist kid, I think. I, I never did well at school. I didn't like rules and structure um, and all that ever made me want to do was break it. You know, as soon as I could see how something worked, you know, there's really annoying kids that like get a toy and that the first thing they want to do is pull it apart so they can see what else they can make out of the guts of it. That's the kind of kid that I was. And so I think I really like threw a lot of work Dan's way because as soon as I figured out, oh, this show has a structure, like it has rules and it works in this certain sort of way and that's why it's so good and this is why people like it, that to me was like I want to try to pull this apart and I want to start doing it the other way around. And, and, <laughs> and so for me, I, 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 do, I do love the idea of being able to um, – really take a recording in a completely different direction. You know, uh, just last week I recorded, this is so weird, but just last week my partner and I have started jogging. This is a tangent, sorry, but we've started jogging, uh, which is really gross and I kind of hate it. But to make it fun, I did a 25-minute guided run recording where I – like downloaded all the, our favorite Beyonce tracks and little mix and stuff and put them all together and then recorded these inspiration, like faux inspirational motivational speeches that I had written and recorded them over the top and, and timed it to a 5k run. And that kind of silly, absurd, like uh, stuff is what excites me. I like the idea of doing a show that could just, have a musical interlude um, halfway through it or a critical analysis of the Scream franchise um, in between discussions of, you know, Toot and Booting the runway on RuPaul's Drag Race. So, uh, yeah, we will see. I'm having visions of you running with, you know, like leg warmers and a headband. Uh, totally got the neon headband. I do own that uh some inappropriately short um like 80s booty shorts i'm the worst jogger i literally have a cigarette behind my ear while i jog because that's my motivator is like as soon as you get home you get to have a cigarette so i'm like the most ridiculous uh jogger you could ever see going down the yarra i'm not a like 
spandex warrior or whatever they like or a warrior or whatever they call them. Do you find that when you're jogging, people like do a double take that recognize you from the gaze you're revolting? <laughs> uh, I, I think I'm running so fast and I'm just like such a speedy, efficient runner that uh, no, um, maybe not around the yard. <laughs> not around the yard. They probably recognize me for other things around the down by the riverbanks, um, but uh, that still does happen. I was out at uh, a, a sort of bush music festival about a month ago. Down, it was called Boogie Festival. Out in, it's on the tip of my tongue. They're gonna kill me. You can look it up, uh, but it was it, it was out in uh, country Victoria, and I it was like country music, and it was the last place I would ever expect to get recognised for the gays of revolting. But I think three people came up to me at this music festival out in the bush and said, "We love your podcast. Are you Luke from the show?" And it, it just kind of goes to show we're everywhere. You can never escape the gaze. Luke Forrester, it's wonderful that you're you're re-emerging as an artist. Uh, can't wait for the new podcast. Thank you so much for chatting with me today on 3CR. My pleasure. And you'll have to come on to the lily pad. That's what I'm calling it at the moment. Oh, great. Um, so there's going to be frog stuff happening. <laughs> yes, open mind. Yeah, I cannot guarantee your personal safety, but um, please do um, feel free to hop on sometime. And um, always a pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. 
the White Stripes there, and it's so cool they are. Came out with the riff for that track here in Melbourne. It's a great track, Seven Nation Army. You are an in-your-face on 3CR with James. While Lynn Johnson Vestians is an activist who's organising a candlelight vigil in Melbourne for people who have been killed, LGBTIQ folks who have been killed by family violence, and I chatted with Lynn this week. So organising a candlelight vigil on the 28th of May at the State Library at 6pm to remember LGBTQI people lost to family violence because it's a massive issue in our community and it's just not talked about. Absolutely. Was there a particular incident that made you think, I've got to do this? Um, a recent report came out um, with the statistics and I read the statistics and was absolutely horrified. Like 62% of trans men have been in an abusive relationship and 43% of intersex females have been in an abusive relationship. One in three LGBTQI people have been in an abusive relationship but only one in 10 are reporting to police and taking further action. Why do you think that is? Why, what, what are some of the issues that, that result in that hesitancy? Well, um, most people don't have family support because there could be things like family rejection. Um, there's things like distrust of the police because of historical homophobia and transphobia. Um, there's the shame as well and because especially in Australia, you know, the LGBTQI community is so close and so close-knit, everyone knows everybody, which makes it really hard when someone needs to re- leave a relationship because of abuse because they're likely to come across the perpetrator and they don't want to make things worse by reporting. As a worker who's uh, spent, you know, much of their career working in refuges, are you kind of, you know, shocked that we still don't have any LGBTIQ-specific refuges here in Victoria? Yes, and it's an issue I've been talking about for about eight years now. Um, I'm actually in at the very start of a process to create a in particular gender diverse refuge. So there are places for trans men to go um, because most refuges are owned by religious organisations and there's just that lack of understanding of the queer community in general. So what do you have to do to establish a, a refuge for gender diverse people? What are some of the steps that you need to go to to be able to do it? At the moment, I'm trying to get charity status. Um, So then I can get tax-deductible donations. I'm also looking at funding options, so things like the Mardi Gras grants and grants through the Victorian government um, and hoping that, yeah, we can get some supporters involved and, yeah. It's interesting you mentioned the Victorian government because recently they've been doing quite a bit of PR on the fact that they're now taking steps to address LGBTIQ family and domestic violence. Yes, which is really good um, because it's very rare when we're talking about family violence that we include queer people. 
um, quite often queer people who do go to family violence services feel invisible. So it's really good the Victorian government is finally addressing this. It's about time. Yeah, what's taken them so long? I mean, they invested, you know, a lot of money prior into family violence in the straight world. Why do you think it's taken them so long to play catch-up on LGBTIQ family violence? Homophobia. Really? Yeah. Um, You know, because... Most family violence organisations are religious-based. We've got people like the Salvation Army and they have a long history of homophobia and transphobia. And there's also issues in our community of things like conversion therapy, which can be included in family violence. And um, most churches are supportive of conversion therapy or were a few years ago and didn't see that as an issue and told people that they were just, people were just trying to help them and just completely disregarded the abuse that was going on. And even though the legislation's been passed in Victoria to ban conversion practices, you know, it's still not fully operational. And then there's the issue of, you know, conversion practices flourishing in other states. Yeah, and I think conversion practices really need to be included under family violence organisations because it is so often parents or siblings or a partner that is trying to coerce someone into going into conversion therapy, which all forms a part of family violence. So in relation to the vigil that you're organising, give us a bit more information about how it's all going to work. Yep, so it'll be at the State Library, just outside the State Library on Swanson Street, and um, we're going to have a few speeches. Um, People will have the opportunity to write messages if they've lost someone to family violence, and we'll just observe a minute's silence. And there'll also be... um, information about family violence and support available there as well that night. So tell us about some of the speakers that you hope to organise. Well, we can't confirm anyone yet, but Ro is going to be talking from the view of a partner who quite often a new partner and there's still family violence going on from an ex. Quite often they're excluded from conversations and it does obviously affect them and I'll be saying some of my story as well and where yeah there'll be some more speakers that will be confirmed soon. What are some of the issues around you know the nuts and bolts of planning a vigil? You mentioned the police before do you have to work with the police to actually be able to get a permit like how does it all work? So you don't actually need a permit Um, It's not a legal requirement in Victoria, at least. Um, Luckily, we do have GLOWs within the police force and they are normally fantastic. So I've been talking with them. They, some of them identify as queer themselves. Most of them have seen family violence in queer relationships, so are quite supportive. Last time we spoke, of course, uh, you highlighted just how difficult it was during COVID uh, in refuges. What are some of the observations that you've got currently? Well, 
unfortunately, um, the it came back that family violence rose by nine percent last year, and um, family violence was happening for the first time. So the challenges are it's a very underfunded area and the budget the other night gave us no hope. The the budget's only half of what we actually need. And um, it's people are waiting and are at risk of further violence. And when somebody leaves, that's the highest risk of homicide. So people will die while waiting to get into refuges. It's absolutely gobsmacking that the government hasn't adequately funded uh, refuges and support, considering how much focus there's been lately on violence towards women. I was hoping after everything with Brittany Higgins that Scott Morrison would finally get it. Um, No, apparently not. Um, but, yeah, we desperately need more funding. Um, Victoria, the Victorian state government, do a good job with helping with funds and they are continuing to roll out recommendations from the Royal Commission, which is really good. Are you surprised there hasn't been much outcry in the community? I know it's early days since the budget, but are you surprised that there hasn't been more criticism of this lack of funding from the Morrison government? I th- I am surprised. I think because he, last year it was the number was so low that we got. It was about I think it was about a fifth of what was needed. So Scott Morrison's gone. Look, we've doubled this year. So everyone's going, oh, you've doubled it, and not realizing that it's still underfunded. It really makes you wonder when the government's going to get the message. I mean, if they haven't got it now after all of the publicity around the sexual assaults of of women, uh, it it seems like they're a hopeless cause. Yeah, it really does. And I think what the only time this will get fixed is we need a change in government and we need people to write to their local MPs and say, you are supposed to represent me. You need to stand up for this issue. This is an issue. We need to sort it now. And it begs belief that the opposition hasn't been running on this issue more strongly. That's been really disappointing to see um, because historically Labor's been quite good around family violence policies and legislation, but um, I've only really seen... Um, the Greens talk about it and Andy Maddox's Animal Justice Party talk about it. And it's interesting because, you know, refugees are run by religious groups. You think more religious groups who often, you know, you know, present themselves as being so committed to social justice. You think that they would be speaking out about this lack of funding for refugees because, you know, they've got to carry the financial can. Yeah. And the thing with these religious organisations is they don't want to upset the government because if they upset the government, they think they'll get less funding. Um, So they try and stay apolitical, but it comes at the cost of queer people's safety and right to live free from violence. Well, that's the other thing. If the if the Morrison government's not adequately funding, you know, refuges for, you know, cis women... 
you know, how much funding's gone towards the queer community and refuges? Probably, you know, very, very little. Yeah, very little. Luckily, we do have some good places like Queer Space and Thorn Harbour Health who are doing all they can um, using funding they've got, but it's just not enough and they really need help and they need the Victorian government's help. Yeah, it sounds like those uh, those funding arrangements that the uh, you know the feds deliver towards queer organisations are, are, are almost non-existent in the family violence areas. Yeah, and there's so many issues within the queer community, such as you know um, transphobia, um, you know kids being kicked out for coming out. That, and all of these are important areas and there's just not enough funding to go around. So, Lynn, give us the details for your vigil so that people can support it. Yep. So I've got a Facebook event and it's Candlelight Vigil for LGBTQI people lost to family violence. And it'll be 6pm State Library. Um and it'll go for about an hour. Fantastic. Lynn, it's wonderful that you're doing this vigil. It's wonderful that you're highlighting the need for support in the queer community. Thank you so much for chatting with me today on 3CR. Thank you. Lynn Johnson, Vestian's there talking about that vigil on Friday the 28th of May outside the State Library. We do have some support numbers, Sexual Assault Counselling Australia, 1800 211 028 and LGBTIQ Violence Service, 1800 497 212. You are on In Your Face on 3CR with James. 3CR. Taking us as hard candy with Child of the Revolution, we'll catch you next week on In Your Face.
Face would like to thank Thorn Harbour Health for their sponsorship of this program. Thorn Harbour Health envisions a healthy future for our gender, sex and sexuality diverse communities, a future without HIV, and a future where all people live with dignity and respect. To find out more, search Thorn Harbour Health on your search engine or Facebook. <laughs>